going to start reading in John chapter 12, verse 1. Here we go. Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. So we're one week away from the crucifixion. So he comes to Bethany, the city outside of Jerusalem, where Lazarus was, who had been raised from the dead. Who had been dead, who, excuse me. Who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. I try to get to the good news a little quicker. This is a story many of you would remember about uh, Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, the Bible says, a close friend of Jesus, who had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And at one point, Lazarus became deathly ill, and Mary and Martha sent for Jesus. Jesus delayed his coming, and by the time he got to Bethany, uh, Lazarus had passed away. But Jesus raised him from the dead. An incredible story, an incredible miracle. I, I can't even keep track of how many messages I personally have preached out of that story because it's so rich, so dense with so much of God's uh, truth and his, his uh, love and power that's on, uh, that's on display there. But that's in the past as we come now to this occasion. And uh, so, they, so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for his final week of ministry. He stops off in Bethany to visit his friends. Verse 2, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary, remember there's three siblings, Martha's serving the food, Lazarus is sitting at the table. Now Mary, Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the fragrance, excuse me, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now, if you went on and read, you'd see that some folks got upset with Mary for breaking open that uh, bottle of spikenard and pouring out that precious ointment. Uh, the loudest voice in opposition was um, Judas because he's the one that kept the purse uh, for Jesus and the disciples and he was always dipping into it and so he was very conscious of you know, these money issues. And so he makes a big stink about how, you know, this uh, was a waste of money because he values it. And if anybody would know how much this was worth, it was probably Judas. And he says to, uh, he says to anybody who wants to hear, he says, this is, was worth a year's wages. I don't know what you make in a year, but imagine sp spending that much money on a, a bottle of perfume. Now this one here that I hold in my hand, I did not spend a year's worth of wages on. In fact, I didn't even spend an hour's worth of wages on it. But we're going to pretend, okay? And uh, she poured it out on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And we're just going to leave that scene in the background this morning as we move on to a couple of other things. And perhaps uh, while we do, the scent of this perfume that I've just poured out in this bowl will reach you if you didn't already, um, weren't already aware of it when you came in this morning after the first service. Now let's turn to Philippians, a little tiny book further back in the New Testament. Philippians in chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Christians in a city of called Philippi, and we're going to start reading at verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, where it says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's saying, think this way. 
think this way. Jesus thought this way. You should think this way as, as well. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to describe what that mindset was. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, the, the little trans, literal translation there is, he didn't consider it something to be grasped. His uh, divinity was not something he had to fight for. Not something he had to make a case about. It was something he possessed. He was fully God. Christ was fully God. He was in the form of God, it says. And he didn't consider, that was not to be considered something he was usurping, something he was taking. It was his and his naturally. He was in the form of God, did not consider a robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. That literally means he emptied himself. He emptied himself. The road to resurrection begins with Christ pouring himself out. He emptied himself. It goes on to tell us more about what that means, and we'll read it in just a minute, but I want you to just stop right there and think about this for a minute. Some people, when they, uh, when they uh, teach from this passage, they incorrectly Describe it as though Jesus was divesting himself of his divinity, that he was laying aside his godliness, his godness, when he entered this world. That's not the case at all. It says that he was in the form of God, and then he poured his godness, his divinity, out. Not to get rid of it, but for our benefit, he poured it into human form. It says there uh, in verse 7, he made himself of no reputation. In other words, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. He was in the form of God, and he poured all of his godness, his divinity, into the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. Can you imagine? I mean, we, we can't. We cannot. We don't have any handles to get a hold of this concept of what it would be for God to be poured into human flesh. But maybe this would help you get a little bit of a sense of the scale of what we're talking about. What if I asked you to take the water in all of the oceans, seas, and lakes of this world and pour it into a teacup? It's absurd, right? You couldn't, I mean, it would be, it's like, what could fit in a teacup's not even a drop in the bucket. But the vastness of who God is was poured into human form and in the doing of that Jesus was no less God so Jesus was fully God and also fully man he poured himself out he emptied himself into human form now I've been watching because I, I uh, recorded a lot of the Olympic uh, Winter Olympic Games that were held a little over a month ago, and so I'm still watching the Olympics because I love them so much. And uh, one of my favorite Winter Olympic sports is bi uh, biathlon, where they do cross-country uh, skiing and then they shoot a rifle at a target. And you can, I just can't imagine. You know, the the effort cross-country skiing is like is one of the hardest things I can even imagine doing. And it, it requires so much energy. And then they come and they have to, you know, their heart is racing. They're, 
blood is pumping and they got to target, a, you know, and shoot. And it's like, I can't even imagine how they do that. But one of the things I have noticed about this particular sport and one of the things I, why, I remi- uh, you know, why I really admire them is because they get to the finish line and they collapse right there. There's nothing left. They fall right down in the ice <laughs> because they have expended every last ounce of themselves to reach that finish line. When it says that Jesus emptied himself, he didn't hold anything back. He didn't come and visit us in some sort of token form. He came in all that he is. He emptied himself. He poured himself completely out for us in so many ways. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even if, the, even if it wasn't enough that he poured himself, that he took on human form, beyond that, he humbled himself and, and submitted to the will of God that required he be crucified by other human beings. He, he endured the ridicule and the, the assault of, of human beings, finite, little tiny human beings like you and me. Amazing, amazing. Obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, because that's so, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. In the face of such magnificent grace, how can you do anything but declare his glory and his splendor to to bow before him in reverence and, and worship? In this passage, Paul gives us some additional clues as to what it meant for, for Jesus to empty himself. And I want to just walk you through that a little bit and then we'll move on to one other passage of Scripture and be, be done. But I want you to notice again that he poured himself into the form of a servant. When it says that he emptied himself, he became a servant. Remember the scene where Jesus is with his disciples? Right before his, um, his crucifixion, they're having supper together, having dinner together. He gets up, lays aside his outer garments, wraps himself in a towel, fills a basin with water, and he goes to each of his disciples and washes their feet. The job of a servant. Peter can't, can't even stand the concept that his master is, is washing his feet. And he says, no, I, I, this is, I should do this. And It's a wonderful scene, but it's also amazing, too, that the maker of all things would, would stoop to serve his disciples, you and me. The Bible says that Jesus said this. He said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve Think about how much time, energy, and money all of us spend to not have to serve. We work so hard 
to be served, not to be the servant. You know, we pay a, a guy to come, or actually two guys to come and, and uh, mow our, our lawn out here and help keep the, the grounds uh, tended to because, well, frankly, it's too much work for us. Yesterday, that's not to mention yesterday, by the way, we had so many people here doing deep cleaning. And uh, there was, I talked to one of the guys this morning. I, they were out in the rain yesterday putting a fresh layer of bark on all of the landscape areas. They actually created a creek out here for, um, for drainage. It was amazing. Painting and stuff. You guys, I'm not, please don't get me wrong when I, when I say what I said. This is a church full of servants, and I love that. But what I just said about our, our gardeners is true for, for all of us, too. We, we imagine that the best position is being served, not serving. Jesus flipped that upside down and never, ever in anything that he ever said or did, did he put himself in the role of the one being served. He always served. That's our Savior. When he poured himself out, when he emptied himself out, he, it was into the form of a servant. Then it goes on and says that he came in the likeness of men. Among so many things, that at least means he faced what we face. Sometimes we imagine that, you know, well... Jesus surely, you know, uh, didn't have to struggle with the stuff that I struggle with. Oh, think again. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us we do not have a high priest who can't identify with us, who wasn't tested and tempted in the same way that we are. We have a high priest who was tested in every way like us, but without sin. Now, we... Maybe we don't think this through, but a lot of times what we're imagining when we read stuff like that or hear stuff like that is that, well, of course he didn't sin. He was God. Yes, he was God, but he was also fully human. And when he stared down the kinds of temptations that you and I stared down and was victorious over them, it was for us. So that we could come to that high priest and say, Jesus, I know you understand, and I know not only do you understand, you know the way towards victory in this. Just think about the time when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. You know, after, right after his baptism, the Holy Spirit led him out, the Bible says, led him out into the wilderness, all alone, fasting for 40 days. Now, I've never fasted for 40 days in my life, and if you have, I don't want to hear about it, because it's just... <laughs> You'll get a special reward in heaven, I'm sure. <laughs> but they tell me that, I mean, I know this, that, you know, you, initially your body just screams, feed me! And eventually that kind of quiets down and you have a period of relative calm there where your body is adjusted to the new reality and is feeding on your reserves, you know. And some of us have some of that to offer. <clears throat> But you reach a place right around 30 days or so where you actually start, your body starts feeding on itself. Jesus is beyond that. At 40 days, there is a hunger that he's experiencing that I don't think any of us in this room can imagine. And the devil shows up 
and says, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? Tell me that wasn't a temptation. Tell me that that doesn't match anything of what your flesh has screamed out to you in those times of desire. Feed me! And Jesus said, no. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And when he did that, he did that for me. So that when I'm staring down the lusts of my flesh, when the enemy is testing me with the desires of my flesh, I have someone to turn to who knows what that's about and knows the way to victory. And it says that the devil took him to a high place and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he said, Jesus, I can give all of this to you. And he could have, by the way, because we had given it to him in the Garden of Eden by our sin. I can give all of this to you if you'll just worship me. You know, no big deal. There's no cross involved in this deal. And see, Jesus, Jesus had come really to do that, to buy back what we had turned over to the enemy. So in a sense, this was the fulfillment of his mission that didn't include having to go through the cross. Tell me that wouldn't have been a temptation. And tell me you haven't faced times when you've been tempted to make your own way shortcut to whatever you want or whatever you think, maybe whatever you even think God wants for your life. I can't tell you how many times I've been called into situations of counseling people who they knew God wanted for them to have a healthy, happy, married life, but they chose a shortcut to that route that didn't include the will of God. And now they're dealing with the fallout of that. They made their own way. Every time we do that, we are stooping to the, to the enemy. Jesus stared that one down. For me. So that I could have somebody to turn to when I'm tempted that way. He knows the way to victory in that one. And then the, then the devil took him to the highest point of the temple and he said, you know, if you are the son of God, challenging his identity, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off of here because the Bible says, the devil's using the Bible now, the Bible says that God will not allow you to dash your foot on, the stone, on a stone. He will send his angels to bear you up. And he's challenging his identity. Tell me, you, how much trouble have we gotten into by the, when the, in those times when the devil tempts us and at the point of our insecurity. All of us are so insecure. <laughs> and we are ripe for that target. Oh, but Jesus poured himself out into uh, human flesh so that he could face everything that we face you know, on the night of his betrayal, everyone abandoned him. His closest friends, they all abandoned him. Tell me he doesn't know something about loneliness. Tell me he doesn't know something about abandonment. He does. Whatever you face, whatever temptation, whatever trial, we have a high priest who's been there. And boy, does that bring comfort. Aren't you glad he emptied himself? He poured him out fully for you and me. 
It goes on and says that not only is all of that true, but he humbled himself even to the point of death. The word humbled there means made himself small. He, he, it, it means to hear under. It's a, an authority is over you and you're hearing that surrendering and submitting to a higher authority. Jesus was God and yet submitted, surrendered his will to the Father and went to the cross. Can you imagine these finite, puny human beings crucifying God, spitting on God, their maker. He did that for us. He did that for us. He, you know, don't overlook, don't minimize the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus three times in his humanity cries out to the Father and says, you can take this cup from me. But not my will. Yours be done. Wow. What amazing God we have. He poured himself out. He emptied himself. By becoming a servant. By facing what we face. And by submitting his will. To the Father. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 12 because what do you do with that information? It's overwhelming to hear. Overwhelming to, to try to assimilate the, the magnificence of Philippians chapter 2. What do you do with that? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, I beseech you, I beg you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What do you do in the face of a God who emptied himself for you? You pour yourself out on an altar. I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present yourselves, your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or rational service. It means, what else would you do? When it says it's your reasonable service, it's like, what other option can there be in the face of such amazing love and such amazing grace that God who poured himself out for you what other response makes any sense at all but that I pour myself out for him? Lately in my prayer times, I've been, uh, I, I think it's something that the Lord's dealing with me about, and so it, it seems to be something I'm not quite getting because it keeps coming back. But lately in my prayer times, I'm almost all the time I'm hearing the Lord calling me to be present with him. Now, I know what that means because, I mean, I know what it means to me because. He is present with me. But I rarely am with him. You ever had those conversations with somebody where you're going, uh-huh, mm-hmm, oh yeah, mm, yeah. But your mind is, a, you know, somewhere else. I do that with prayer. Oh, Lord, I love you and I'm so grateful for all that you do. I can, I can rattle on for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes and I haven't even begun to break a sweat. But my mind is on to, you know, what I got to do today, what I'm going to eat this afternoon, you know, 
all this stuff. And it's not that God's mad at me, but he wants so much more for me. So he's calling me to be present with him, to not, to pour myself out for him, to empty myself out before him. I want to do that. Because what else makes sense? If there is a God in heaven who is this God that we read about in Philippians chapter 2, what else can you do? Can you sit there and go, well, I don't, you know, I don't know. (laughs) No. We pour ourselves out in worship and in obedience and in devotion. We don't hold anything back. What are the things that you're holding on to? Is it your career? Is it your money? Is it your, your choices? What are you reserving? What are you reserving for yourself? What are you holding back from the one who held nothing back from you? Man. And that brings us back to the story of Mary. I'd like you to watch this with me. My sister Martha asked me, Now Mary, what exactly was the purpose of that little scene you caused right there in the middle of dinner? And all I could say was, it was just something I could do. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up. Meeting Jesus. I guess I just never thought he might be so personable. One who would come to our home and have dinner with our family. Laugh at our jokes. (laughs) Tell a few of his own. Sitting with him made everything else seem less important. So that night, right before Passover, we wanted to honor him for everything he'd done in our family. Looking back on that night, we knew, knowing that the whole world was against him, there could have been so much more. We could have let him know that we were unified, that we were all for him, And that was a missed opportunity. Where was I? So that night, um, we had him over for dinner to honor him. How exactly? How exactly do you thank someone for bringing your brother back to life? (laughs) Well, our sister Martha was in the kitchen preparing this perfect meal for him. And then there was me. What could I do? I decided to give up one of my most precious possessions. Precious things given to Jesus never really seem wasted. And I knew as soon as I did it, it was obvious. Some people weren't pleased with my choice. It wasn't planned. 
it was spur of the moment. It just, it leapt from my heart. I let down my hair in public, which you just don't do. And I wiped his feet with it. And then I poured out an expensive perfumed jar of oil to honor him. And the beautiful scent filled the whole room. Now, if I would have stayed paralyzed in fear over what my sister would think after she made this huge meal, or the anger of the onlookers, or what a disciple could say, I might never have worshipped him that way. And the beautiful scent, oh, it stayed for days and days. Sitting at his feet, None of their opinions really mattered. Jesus was pleased with me. And he stood up in my defense. So why did I do it? I guess it was, it was all I had. And days later, Jesus would pour out everything he had for us, for me. This is recording number 11097 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 30, 2014. This is the first message in a series titled, The Road to Resurrection. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, He Emptied Himself.